Hebrews 9 and 10 today, which will require us to, of course, take a big picture view. Sometimes one specific tree, sometimes a forest. Hebrews 9, 1 through 10, 18. And let's just read, having already read uh, at the beginning of the service from the hymn book at uh, chapter 10, verses 1 through 14, and then Whit read in chapter 9, verses 1 through 10. Let's just read in the middle. So we'll just read in the middle for now of this long section, Hebrews 9 and 10. Thinking this morning about Jesus as the better sacrifice. Jesus as the true and better sacrifice. Look at chapter 10, verse 1. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 1. Look at it carefully. For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come, instead of the true form of these realities, it can never, it can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise, he says, would they not have ceased to be offered, since the worshipers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have any consciousness of sins. But in these sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year. And mark this, verse 4, For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. I glance back to the last two verses of chapter 9. The last two verses of chapter 9. Take this sentence to heart this morning. Just as it is appointed, Hebrews 9.27, for man to die once... And after that comes judgment. So Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time. A second time. This time not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for Him. As Witt said, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Would you bow with me in prayer? So great to be together. Let's bow together. Come, Holy Spirit, Thou divine, and on this time of preaching, shine, and teach our hearts in highest strain to praise the Lamb for sinners slain, to praise the Lamb for sinners slain. So help us, Lord. Amen. 
There are two kinds of men. The righteous who thinks he is a sinner and the sinner who thinks he is righteous. That's Blaise Pascal. C.S. Lewis was talking to his friend one day and they were discussing whether or not dogs and cats have a conscience. He said this, this is C.S. Lewis, he says, we were talking about cats and dogs the other day and decided that both have consciences. But the dog, being an honest, humble person, always has a bad one. But the cat is a Pharisee and always has a good one. When he, that is the cat, sits and stares at you, he is thanking God that he is not as these dogs, or as these humans, or even as these other cats. Even if it's not the main thing that we're talking about this morning, we do see subtly but really very importantly this idea of conscience in our passage today. We will not be able to look at every verse that is by intention this morning as we look at Hebrews 9 and 10. Uh, what we've just read is something that I do want us to spend some time and pay attention to the middle, so to speak, 9.27 uh, through 10.4. So this is just kind of the very simple game plan this morning. Very simply, we'll just do two things. We'll, we'll just start in the middle, chapter 10, verse 1, and context. And then we'll say, okay, what is the foundation for all of this back earlier in chapter 9? Well, I don't know if you're a dog person or a cat person. It's funny what Lewis was talking about with his friend. But as I say, it's not the main thing, but this passage does bring out the issue of conscience. Hebrews talks about this issue of conscience. So just look at it again in verse 2 of chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 2. Otherwise would they not have ceased to be offered since the worshipers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have any consciousness of sins. But in these sacrifices there is a reminder of sins every year. Hey, let me ask you this morning, how is your conscience today? Would you truly answer that question in the, in the silence of your own seat this morning? How is your conscience Maybe you're here this morning with a guilty conscience. Conscience is a gift from God. Conscience uh, is something we should not go against conscience. It doesn't mean our conscience is always calibrated to be right. Uh, your conscience can be better informed, but it is a gift of God. Uh, how is your conscience this morning? As I say, maybe you have a guilty conscience. Maybe, listen to me, maybe it's something from last night or Friday night. Maybe it's something from your past. Maybe you have a very checkered past. And, and this, this gift of God called conscience brings shame. Maybe you're here this morning and you have a clear conscience. What a gift that is. There really, in one sense, is no higher gift than a clear conscience. Beautiful thing. This passage addresses this issue of conscience, among other things this morning that we will see. 
But since this is an overview, let me just tell you, uh, as we look at a big chunk, a big section, Hebrews 9 and 10, since this is an overview, let me just tell you what this is all about. Let me make it very simple and hopefully very plain. Let me, uh, let me not leave you in the dark. Hebrews chapters 9 and 10, it's about the same thing as our whole series, which is Jesus is better. Jesus is better, therefore stay with Jesus, therefore don't uh, leave Jesus, don't abandon your faith in Jesus, stay with Him because He's better than anything. And this morning, uh, specifically, we see that Jesus is better uh, when it comes to two S words, okay? He's better because He brings and introduces a better sanctuary and a better sacrifice. That's, that's Hebrews 9 and 10. Hebrews 9 and 10, Jesus is better, better sanctuary, and better sacrifice. If you want to make it really simple, it's that the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ, when He offered Himself on the cross, is better, is way better than any of the Old Testament sacrifices, in part because it actually works. Because it's actually effective. That's really the nub of the issue. You got that? Hebrews 9, uh, Hebrews 9 and 10, better sanctuary, better sacrifice. When I say sanctuary, I'm talking about what the text calls the holy places, okay? Sanctuary, same thing as the holy places. When I say sacrifice, I'm talking about the same thing as when the text says that the Lord Jesus offered Himself to God. Hey, let me show you that this is actually introduced in chapter 8. Glance back just by quick review, by way of quick review at chapter 8. And let me just show you that these two things are already introduced in chapter 8, verses 2 through 6. By the way, if an author or a preacher, this, this book of Hebrews is actually a sermon, and so the author is a preacher. If he ever tells you his main point, hey, then you've got him telling you, this is my main point. And he does that in verse 1, by the way, chapter 8, verse 1. The point in what we're saying is this, we have such a high priest, one who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven. And then he tells us what he's going to be talking about in the next few chapters. Verse 2. Hebrews 8, a minister in the holy places in the true tent that the Lord set up, not man. That's better sanctuary. Okay? And then verses 3 through 5 is better sacrifice. For every high priest is appointed to offer gifts and sacrifices. Thus it is necessary for this priest also to have something to offer. Hebrews 8, 4, look at it. Now, if he were on earth, he would not be a priest at all, since there are priests who offer gifts according to the law. They serve a copy and shadow of the heavenly things. For when Moses was about to erect the tent, he was instructed by God, saying, See that you make everything according to the pattern that was shown you on the mountain. So our author has already set the stage for chapters 9 and 10. He's already introduced this. He's already started talking about it in chapter 8. In chapter 8, verse 2, he says, I'm going to be talking to you about the better sanctuary, the true holy places. In verses 3 through 5, he says, I'm going to be talking to you mainly, listen to me, about the better sacrifice. The better, the sacrifice of the Son when He offered Himself. Oh, and by the way, in verse 6, 
he says, I'm also going to continue to talk to you about the new and better covenants. Hebrews 8.6, but as it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that is as much more excellent than the old as the covenant He mediates is better since it is enacted on better promises. You want to know the book of Hebrews, dear friend? Jesus is the mediator of a new covenant. Or chapter 7, Jesus is the guarantor of a better covenant. As fallen people living in a fallen world, as fallen people living in a fallen world, I'm talking to you this morning, we might choose to stay with what is comfortable and known. We might choose to stay with what is comfortable and known when all the while we are literally giving up the greatest thing in the world. Like these believers from thousands of years ago, we too might choose to stay with what is comfortable and what is known instead of staking everything upon the Lord Jesus Christ who is the treasure beyond compare, Matthew 13, 44. There is the chance, dear believer, dear believer, there is the possibility that we would forfeit the greatest thing in the world who is Jesus Christ and stay with what is comfortable. In this case, to stay with Judaism. In this case, to stay, to stay with the old sanctuary. To stay with the old sacrifice. To stay with the first covenant, the old covenant. But He's saying to them, no. Don't go back to the old sacrifices. Don't go back to the old covenant. Don't go back to the old sanctuary because Jesus is better. Just two things, as I've already mentioned, just two things. We want to look at the middle and then we want to say, what is the foundation for all this? Okay, we'll look at the middle, we'll pull back, we'll pull back, say, what is the foundation for all of this? Look again at chapter 10, verse 1, and the context. This first of two very simple points, this first of two very simple points, Don't worry, I know. He's, Man, that's a long introduction. He's point one now. Point one, shadow and substance. Point one, shadow and substance. Hebrews 10.1 and the surrounding context. For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come, instead of the true form of these realities... It can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. I came across this uh, illustration from Kent Hughes. Ed, who was in Chicago for so many decades at a college church in Wheaton, Illinois, at uh, there near the campus of Wheaton College. Kent Hughes was for decades the pastor of College Church, and he says this. I want you to listen to this. I thought this was so helpful. By the way, I didn't, I didn't meet him once in Minneapolis, and, and from a distance, I would say, by the grace of God, this is a very pure, very innocent man. 
Soon after I began to date my future wife, Barbara, I obtained her picture. A beautiful black and white 8x10 photograph. Kent Hughes is like 82 now. Taken the year before we met. And it immediately became an item of prenuptial worship. They're not married yet. He's got a picture of his soon-to-be wife. He says it immediately becomes pre-marriage worship for me. Now this is why I said this man, I think you can trust me, he's a, he's a pure as the day is long through Jesus Christ, through Jesus. He said it was one of those bare-shouldered, sorority-style pictures so popular at the time. She looked like an angel floating in the clouds. It became my portable hope, most often sitting on my desk, sometimes in my car, at other times propped in front of my plate and my love-struck eyes. However, the day came when we stood before God and our families and friends and pledged our lives to each other as she became mine. Suddenly, I had gone from the, possessing, from the possession of a one-dimensional, one-dimensional portrait to the possession of the real thing, who smiled, talked, and laughed. A real three-dimensional wife. It's a real boy. A living, life-loving soul. And the picture? It remained just as beautiful, but from then on, it received relatively scant attention. Oh man, that's good. Do you see what he's saying? Until we were married, this picture was everything. I don't have to explain. You know what he's saying. And then I kept the picture. I kept it in my wallet. I I still like the picture. Listen to what he says. Imagine that one day I appear before my wife. Get this. Imagine one day I appear before my wife holding the black and white photograph and I say, my dear, I have missed your picture and I'm going back to it. I really am attached to the silhouette and the monochrome shading. Then I passionately kiss the glass protecting the photograph, clutch it to my chest, and exit mumbling my devotion to the picture. I love you, old photograph of my wife. You're everything to me. People's suspicions that pastors are weird would be confirmed. It's funny. It is funny. But of course, as we've been looking through the book of Hebrews, of course, what's not funny is that we see over and over, right, in what we've called these warning passages that that five times in these warning passages that the author is saying to them, why would you go back when you have the real thing? And the same thing is true for us today. We play around with other things and all the while we have Jesus Christ who is better. As James has been preaching uh, slowly but surely, pray for Pastor James as he continues his series, I think, right through 1 John next Sunday. Those who deny that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. These are false teachers. These are antichrists. No, we have the real thing, friends. So why would we go back? Why, why, would we, why would we dabble with pornography? Why would we so easily just give our lives to gossip? It's not a big deal. Why would we flirt? Why would we flirt with not staying with the Lord Jesus Christ who is all surpassingly beautiful and who is worthy? He's saying to them, don't leave the Lord Jesus Christ. It is as though you looked at the picture and said, honey, I'm going to go back to this. It makes no sense. Hebrews 10.1 again. Since the law was but a shadow of the good things to come, 
instead of the true form of these realities. It can never by the same sacrifices. Well, I'm getting ahead of myself. We read those last two verses of chapter 9. I want you to glance back there. Glance back there again. Just get the context. I'm, I'm emphasizing verse 1 of chapter 10. I'm emphasizing verse 1, but I want you to see it in context, okay? Everybody knows the phrase, there's nothing certain in this world, but what? But death and taxes. And Hebrews 9.27 says, it's appointed to man once to die. Once to die, dear friend, do you know that? Do you see what it says? Do you hear what it says in Hebrews 9.27? Just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment, so Christ, so Christ having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for Him. Do you see the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ here? Well, you see, you see it in our response at the very end of verse 28, but you see it itself in the middle of verse 28. So Christ having been offered once to bear the sins of many. How could He do that? Because He's the Son of God and the Son of Man. He will appear a second time. So I just want to point out to you the context. I just want to point out to you the context. Jesus is coming again. You know, this is something that the Old Testament prophets did not see as, with the clarity that we see. The Old Testament prophets knew that Messiah was coming. They didn't see the coming being in two stages. This is, this is just cool, in my opinion. They knew He was coming. They didn't see that His coming would be in two stages. Did you know, according to Hebrews chapter 1, when Jesus came the first time, that started the last days. So what are the last days? They're the days that we're living in. How do you define the last days? The days between the first coming of Jesus and the second coming of Jesus. Do you see from the text the second coming of Jesus? He will appear a second time. But then he talks about this shadow and substance in verse 10, or in chapter 10, verse 1. The shadow and substance. The main point that he's making, the main point that he's making is that the sacrifice of Jesus, this is the gospel blows your mind. Jesus is both the priest and the, the victim. Think about it. In the Old Testament, you have a priest and then you have the victim, which is an animal, right? The blood of bulls and goats. Jesus Christ is the high priest and He is also the sacrifice. He's the priest and He's the offering. And His message to them and His message to us today is that the sacrifice of Jesus is infinitely better. 12,000 times better than all of the sacrifices of the Old Testament because they were designed to be provisional. You hear me? They were designed by God for a very real purpose. They were meaningful, absolutely. They were designed to be temporary, shadow and substance. Now Hebrews 10.1 doesn't use the language of shadow and substance. It uses the language of shadow and true form. Shadow and true form. But this is very similar to what we looked at last week. 
Stay with me now. Stay with me. Last week we were talking about the Sabbath. Uh, Sunday. And, and, and I said, I don't think the Sabbath is Sunday. And back there in Colossians 2, 16 and 17, you can just listen to this. In Colossians 2, 16 and 17, Therefore let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Colossians 2, 16 and 17. What's he saying and what's the author of Hebrews saying? I've got to maintain an old covenant diet. You're looking at the picture of your wife and not embracing your wife. I've got to follow circumcision even because it's bound up with my salvation. No, you're looking at a picture of your wife instead of embracing your wife. I've got to observe the Sabbath. It's the fourth commandment. I've got to observe the Sabbath. And I say, according to Scripture, you're looking at a picture of your wife instead of embracing your wife, as Kent Hughes said. Even though Hebrews 10.1 doesn't use the exact same language, it's so similar to Colossians 2.16 and 17. Your diet and your days, these are the very things that separated Jewish people from the Gentile world. That's what marked them off. But through Jesus Christ, He's abolished the wall. Not only do we see here today that He's abolished the wall in the temple, or in the tabernacle, separating uh, one room being the holy place and the other being the most holy place. Jesus died and the curtain was torn in two. He said, it is finished. And the veil of the temple was rent from top to bottom. But He's also torn down the dividing wall between Jew and Gentile. And the very thing that defined a Jew over against a Gentile was things like diet and days. He says to them, why are you looking at a picture of your wife when she's there? Why would you abandon the Lord Jesus Christ? Stay with Him. I know it's hard. Stay with the Lord Jesus Christ. Be faithful to your lover who loves you with a love that will never end and that will never let you go. No, no, no. Verse 10 in the middle of, or chapter 10 in the middle of verse 1, it can never by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise, would they not have ceased to be offered since the worshipers having once been cleansed would no longer have any consciousness of sins? But in these sacrifices, there are a reminder of sins every year. For it is impossible. It is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. And you kind of think about Hebrews 10.4. Hebrews 10.4, which you need to know and you need to kind of mark in some way. And you draw a line back to Hebrews 9.22, for example. Hebrews 9.22 says, Indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood, and without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. Without the shedding of, the, of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. We sing there is power in the blood. We sing there is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins. Sinners plunge beneath that flood, lose all their guilty 
I've already pointed out to you that he says there at the end of chapter 9 that Jesus is coming again. Jesus is coming again there at the end of chapter 9 not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. Please take note of that. To save those who are eagerly waiting for him. If you do not love do not love the Lord Jesus, not only are you not a believer, the Bible says you're accursed. Accursed be those who do not love the Lord Jesus. If you do not love, and we will do this imperfectly, we will do this imperfectly, if you do not love the return of the Lord Jesus Christ in some shape or fashion, it betrays your heart. I'm just directing you to the words to the language of the end of verse 28 listen to these other passages of scripture listen to these other parallel passages first corinthians 1 7 so you're not lacking in any gift as you wait for the revealing of our lord jesus christ as you wait for the revealing of our lord jesus christ philippians 3 20 our citizenship is in heaven and from it we await a savior the lord jesus christ titus 2 13 waiting for our blessed hope the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. As you wait, we await a Savior, waiting for our blessed hope. And then back to Hebrews 9.28, to save those who are eagerly waiting for Him. Let me ask you a question. Would you answer this question? Are you this morning eagerly waiting for the return of Christ? He is coming. Are you eagerly Eagerly anticipating. Do you love the return of the Lord Jesus? Do you love the Lord Jesus Christ? If there is no love for Christ. If there is only love for your sin. If there is only love for yourself, then I have good news for you this morning. You can see yourself for who you are, which is lost and under the wrath of God and in rebellion towards God. And you can be what we call saved. What does that even mean? Saved from the wrath of God. Shadow and substance. Well, with the time that we have remaining, let's just look at the foundation for all of this. Let's just notice quickly the foundation for all of this. That's the second thing. We've jumped in in the middle pull back, we notice what is the foundation for this whole thing. Remember that Hebrews 9 and 10 is about Jesus is better. Better sanctuary, holy places, better sacrifice. The offering of Himself. Glance up with me earlier in chapter 9. Let's notice the foundation for this whole thing in verse 11. This is when Christ appeared, the time of reformation. In verse 28, he had said that he's going to appear a second time. In verse 26, he had said, as it is, he has appeared once for all. And in verse 11 of chapter 9, he says, but when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, and if you glance back at verse 10, these things were imposed until the time of the Reformation. Now, what's he talking about there? 
Is he talking about our history classes? Is he talking about the Protestant Reformation in Hebrews 9.10? Well, no, of course he's not talking about the Protestant Reformation. He's talking about, listen, the end of the ages, the fulfillment of all things. When he says in Hebrews 9.10, the time of reformation, and then he draws this contrast, but when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation, he entered once for all into the holy places. Look at what it says in Hebrews 9.12. Not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. How many, how many eternals are we going to have here? There's one. For if the blood of goats and bulls, verse 13, and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered Himself, the eternal Spirit, offered Himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. Therefore, He is the mediator of a new covenant so that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance. Say it over and over again. The Old Testament is the Word of God for us today. But when it comes specifically to the Old Covenant given through Moses, it's the shadow that points to the substance that is fulfilled in Christ. It was temporal. It was for a time. It was temporal. It was designed to be provisionary. And it was designed to point to Christ. Because He, verse 15, gives the eternal inheritance. He did this, verse 14, through the eternal Spirit. He secured, verse 12, an eternal redemption. Whitney read for us earlier in verses 1 through 10. Let me ask you, what if you know your Bibles at all, if you know the Old Testament, uh, which came first, the tabernacle or the temple? And then which was more permanent, the tabernacle or the temple? Do you know do you know your Bibles? It's okay if you're here and you don't. We would love to introduce you to the Lord Jesus Christ. But if you know your Bibles at all, which came first, tabernacle or temple? Which was more permanent? That's what he's talking about in verses 1 through 10. In verses 1 through 15, actually, he's talking about the tabernacle. The tabernacle came first. It was a tent. It was a tent. The temple was later more permanent, and what he's saying is this. He's saying there was a problem in the Old Covenant. There was no true access to God. There was no true cleansing of the conscience. Are you here this morning with a guilty conscience? Or are you here with a clear conscience? In the Old Covenant, there was no such thing as the actual cleansing of the conscience. There was no such thing as actual access to God. He's talking about the tabernacle. And you may know that in John 1.14, it says the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory, glory as of the only begotten from the Father. Which is to say, He tabernacled among us. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. heard or can't figure out earlier things, just listen to this. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. 
No other fount I know. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. The old poem says this, Not all the blood of beasts on Jewish altars slain could give the guilty conscience rest or wash away one stain. There's no bleach in the world. There's no self-help in the world that can wash away a guilty conscience. Only the blood of Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you that the Lord Jesus Christ, our great high priest, is the true high priest. We thank you that he entered the true holy places. We thank you that he offered the true sacrifice. We thank you that he has brought about the true and better and new covenants. And we pray that you would help us to stay with Jesus. Thank you for this book of Hebrews that points us to our Lord Jesus Christ in all of his beauty. In whose name we pray, amen.